Good morning. Good morning. I, uh, my name is Brian, and we've been a part of Red Cedar for just over 17 years. And it's a privilege to be able to preach to you today. If you're new, welcome. I'm not the normal pastor here. I work with a ministry called Crew at Michigan State and LCC. And uh, since I don't preach very often, I try to give you a special treat. Um, so I have a little gift uh, for you today. And let's see if I could do this right. Which button? That button? Yeah, there. That is me in sixth grade. Uh, yeah, you could just revel in that picture for a minute. You, you got some nice hair and uh, those kind of collars we wore in the late 70s there. Um, but when I was in sixth grade, I learned how to write a persuasive paper. So the teacher gave us uh, a bunch of articles on controversial topics, and we had to pick one, and then write a paper, pick a side of the topic, and then write a paper to convince people that my point of view was the right point of view. And so in sixth grade, I chose the article that said, do all religions lead to the same God? Which was a novel idea in the late 70s, and I decided that yes, all religions lead to the same God. I wrote a paper, I got an A, I got nice little notes from my teacher, and later when I, I was so convinced, I was trying to tell my parents about it, and my parents were not religious at all. I, had, I don't have any memory of, of going to church with my parents. Uh, so it didn't take much convincing, uh, really. But then my dad did give me a warning. He said, you know, your view is not that popular. You may want to keep that to yourself because not everyone believes that all paths lead to the, to the same God. And times have changed, haven't they? <laughs> uh, we actually have a sixth grader here. Jonathan, are you here? Do you want to stand up for us so we could see a sixth grader now? Yeah, come on, stand up. No, he says no. I don't blame you. But glad we have a sixth grader here. Um, but for him and for his world, it is a different viewpoint than when I was in sixth grade. The novel view now, the odd view, is that there is one way to God. And I would call this uh, the prevailing view of our society is the idea that it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you fully believe it with your heart. Have you guys heard that? Or, uh, or maybe just, yeah, all paths, no, whatever you believe, whatever religion you are, it leads to the same God. And uh, this idea is called religious pluralism, and I would say it's by far the dominant view in our culture, to the point, if you don't agree with it, if you believe there is just one way to God, uh, you are seen as a bigot. You are seen as hate, a hater. You are seen as someone that is not to be trusted in our society. And to show you that this view is so prevalent, it's really crept into the churches. So this September, uh, two different Christian organizations did a survey of people who identify as evangelicals. 
And they found that 56% believe there are other paths to God. 56%. Shocking, isn't it? I did a paper on this in 2014, looked at the same type of survey. It was 40% in 2014. And I know there's some, it's hard to do a survey. And the word, the term evangelical used to be more of a theological term of, of a set of beliefs. Now it's more of a political term. Um, but you get the idea that it isn't just people outside the church that are embracing that there are many paths to God. It's people inside the church. It's people that show up on Sunday mornings. It's people that read the Bible, maybe, or at least say they believe the Bible. And 56% of them believe there are other paths to God besides Jesus. And I, I just want you to know how I ended up with this topic. I'm not preaching on this because I I think 56% of you hold that belief, though I think there's some in our, in our group. We're always a mixed group at Red Cedar. Uh, but, but I ended up on this topic because we did a Sunday school class, and in the fall, we, the elders said, ask any questions you want us to talk about at Sunday school, and we'll do it. And the last week, someone snuck a card on the question board, and I walked by, and the elders had already picked their five topics, and I saw the card, and it said something to the effect of, in this day and age of tolerance, how do we interact with the idea that Jesus claimed to be the only way to God? So I don't know which of you put it on there. You could raise your hand if you want to. But, um, but someone put it on there. And then the next day, Pastor Rick texted me and said, would you preach in December? And I said, yes, if I could answer this question. And he said, yes. So that's how we ended up here today. Um, so, but I think it fits. And here's the plan for the rest of the day. Or not the whole day, the morning. <laughs> uh, you could do what you want afterwards. Um, I'm going to share three reasons why I think someone would want to believe that there are many paths to God. And then I'm going to share three reasons why you should believe that Jesus is the only way to God. And then I'm going to give us some challenges at the end, some application. So let me pray for us, and then we'll look at these reasons. God, it's, it's a blessing to be together uh, in a decorated sanctuary, a place that we could come and seek you. And Lord, you know where each pe person is at. I know this can be a hard time for some. I know it could just be a, a joyful time for others. But I pray this morning that our hearts could pause and our eyes and ears could be on you, that you would be the one who teaches and speaks. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we got, oh, I meant to get that off that screen. <laughs> I'm actually not used to using one of these very often. So, so three reasons why someone might believe there are other ways to God. And the first, I think it's the most noble reason, and it's that we desire people to spend eternity with God. I hope that's your desire, that each person in the world would be able to spend eternity with God. Um, personally, I hate the thought of people being separated from God. And I, 
I think if there was one reason why I would really want to believe there are other paths is, is this, because at least theoretically there would be lots of ways that someone could get to God and spend eternity with him. The second reason is I think it would be easier. We wouldn't have to do awkward things like evangelism or world missions. Life would just be easier. I could do what I want to do, you could do what you want to do, and we all end up fine. Third reason is I think our culture would like us more, and I'll use me, I think my culture (laughs) would like me more, especially where I work at Michigan State, where I live in East Lansing, if I could proclaim to the crowd around me, all paths lead to God. I would, I would be seen as wise, loving, enlightened. And I, I don't know about you, but I would like to be seen <laughs> as wise <laughs> and loving and enlightened. So these are, I think, three reasons why someone might believe there are other ways to God. And those are three reasons why I would be tempted to believe there are other ways to God. Um, But the main reason I don't, the main reason sixth grade Brian changed his view uh, to now, is this phrase that Jesus said toward the end of his life. And Jesus said this, in a very clear, I think it's clear, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This statement is what really compels me to believe that there is one way to God. And to properly understand the Bible, if you've been a part of Red Cedar, you've heard this a hundred times, but I'll say it again. You, You have to understand the context. So this isn't just a statement that Jesus put on Twitter. This isn't a statement that was a political speech. Like this statement was said in a very special time in the life of Jesus. It was at the end of his life. Judas had left to betray him, and it was just Jesus and his 11 disciples. And he knew he was dying. He knew he was heading to the cross. And in fact, uh, the, the first piece of context I want to share with you is that Jesus was troubled. Jesus was disturbed in his soul when he made this statement. So John 12 is right before this, maybe the day before. Jesus says, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. So he's, he was dreading the cross. He was dreading what was coming. John 13 happened maybe 10 minutes before the verse that we read, John 14, 6. And it says this, After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And then the Mark verse happens right after John 14, 6. It's, it's happened within maybe one or two hours. And it was uh, at the very end, they end up in the garden, and he takes Peter, James, and John, and it says he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. 
So the, the first piece of context that's helpful to understand this, this statement that Jesus made is that he was deeply sorrowful, deeply troubled. He was emotional. And I think it's helpful for us because Jesus isn't some power-hungry leader when he said he's the way, the truth, and the life. He's a troubled savior. Jesus isn't, um, he isn't some arrogant leader that's saying, it's my way or the highway, get on board. He, he's a savior that's headed to the cross and feeling the depth and the weight of that. Deep in his soul, Jesus is troubled and filled with sorrow because he knows that he needs to go to the cross to provide a way. That's the context for our statement. If you take that statement out of context, it could seem hateful or arrogant. But when you understand what's going on in the life of Jesus, you could see the love shine through. The second piece of context, um, oh, I guess I don't have a slide for them. The second thing, piece of context is that Jesus is trying to comfort his disciples. His disciples are troubled because he's leaving them. Jesus keeps telling them, I am going to the cross. I am going to die. I am leaving. And they started to get a little worried because they devoted their life to Jesus. And so this is the John 14 here. And it says, Jesus replies to them, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the context that's important here is that Jesus is using these words that John 14, 6 is meant as encouragement. It was meant for his disciples who were troubled and worried that they were going to be left alone. And, uh, and I like how he says, it's not just that I'm going, but I'm coming back. And I'm coming to get you. And we're going to be together forever. And, it, and honestly, we wouldn't even have John 14, 6 if it wasn't for Thomas. And the honesty of Thomas to say, look, we don't even know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus is like, Thomas, you know the way. I'm the way. You you may not know exactly where I'm going, but you know the way because I am the way. And if Jesus stopped there, if Jesus just said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, it would be easy to think, and this is the most popular view, if, if people that go to church say they believe there's many paths to God, they will say, I believe Jesus is the way for me. But there are other ways for others. But that second half of that last sentence leaves no other option because Jesus says, I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is very clear in this passage that he is the only way to God. 
So now I want to share three reasons why I think as Christians we should not only believe that Jesus is the only way to God, but actually embrace it. And not treat it as something to be embarrassed by, but like, but fully embrace this, because I think it's good news. So the first reason, um, and by the way, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a follower of Christ, uh, I think these three reasons apply to your life as well. So the first, why should we believe Jesus is the only way to God, is that we are people of the book, meaning the Bible. Um, so we believe that the Bible is God's perfect word without error. So that means the Bible is our highest authority. So if there is a conflict between what our culture says and what the Bible says, we're going to go with what the Bible says. And if there's a, a conflict between your feelings and desires and what the Bible says, you're going to go with what the Bible says. That's what it means that the Bible is our authority. So in this case, if you believe that the Bible is your greatest authority and it's greater than your desires, then you're going to have to trust that Jesus is the only way, even if you desire that there would be other ways to God. Um, Jesus says, no one comes out of the Father except through him. No matter what I feel about that statement, I can't dismiss it. I can't cut it out of the Bible. It's there. I have to trust the Bible more than I trust my feelings. Let me drink here. In 2006, I did a mission trip to Virginia Beach, and on that mission trip, I met a guy from Turkey named Aladdin. And we hung out a few times, and I got to share with him what it means to be a Christian, tried to convince him that Christianity was the true faith, and then he explained to me what it meant to be a Muslim, and tried to convince me uh, that Islam was the true faith. And we had a good time. I mean, we really connected. I really enjoyed this guy. And uh, in fact, I would even say, like, I've had the privilege to know a lot of Muslims. I would say he's the most devout Muslim I met. Five times a day he was praying. And he really lived a life seeking Allah. Um, a few years later, I was in Istanbul where he was doing grad school, and so we met up for a day, and we just had a great time. We went out for, he took me to all his favorite places. We had great food. In the middle, there was the call to prayer, so we went to some mosque, and I, I couldn't go in, but I sat on the outside, and, and uh, we just really had a great day. We toured the city, and at the end of the day, uh, he took me to this beautiful park, and it overlooked the Bosphorus Strait. It was just a gorgeous day. And while we were sitting there, he said, I want to ask you a question. And right then I knew it was the question I didn't want him to ask. And he said, I know you're a Christian. If Christianity is right and I die, what happens to me? Right? It's not just a doctrine at this point. This is my friend. And the tears came, and I shared, Aladdin, I don't think you would be in heaven. And I showed him this verse. And we sat there, 
And then I turned the question around. I said, what do you think happens to me if Islam is true? And he said the same, basically. And, uh, and by the way, like, I know probably all of us, most of us are Americans here. Uh, this wasn't awkward. In America, I, especially right now, we, we don't know how to disagree without it being angry or awkward. It wasn't awkward. It was sobering. But there wasn't contentious. And we just sat there. And, uh, and we were silent for about a minute. And then he spoke. And he said, I want you to know, um, I want you to know that I respect you, even though we disagree. And he said, because you're a person of the book. He said, you stay true to what your holy text says, and I respect that. And if we believe the Bible is true, we have to stay true to the Bible. We have to be people of the book. And oops, I lost my notes here. But that's the greatest, I think, first reason um, is that we need to be people of the book when it comes to this doctrine. I think our culture really embraces that there's multiple ways to God because our culture values tolerance. And personally, I think tolerance is a good thing. But I think respect is greater than tolerance. And Aladdin and I had a respect for one another, even though we fundamentally disagreed on an eternal topic. And so for us, it is okay for us to disagree with people, to embrace what the Bible teaches, and still respect other people. I think we could fully believe and embrace that Jesus is the only way to God and still show respect and care for other people. In fact, I think we must do that. So the first point, we embrace Jesus being the only way to God because we are people of the book. Second, is that Jesus died and rose again. The Bible teaches that Jesus is God in the flesh. That's what we're celebrating with Advent, is that Jesus is God in the flesh. He came, was born, he lived a sinless life, and he walked the earth and died for the sins of mankind. And right before he was arrested... You saw that in the Mark passage. Jesus was begging the Father, saying, if there's any other way, let me out of this. But not my will, your will be done. And we know Jesus went to the cross. So I'm going to be blunt here. If we say that there are other ways to God, we make a mockery of the death of Jesus. Because if there was any other way, Jesus would have taken it. If there was any other way, he wouldn't have left heaven and come to earth. If someone could get to heaven by being good, why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus go through what he went through? If, if you could get to heaven by just being a different religion, why would Jesus have left earth and come and died? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life because he knew there was no other way. His broken body created the way. 
There wasn't a way. That's why he came to provide a way. So we believe that Jesus is the only way to God because he died and rose again to provide the only way to experience eternal life. Third reason we believe Jesus is the only way to God is that his offer of eternal life is available to all people. Many people don't want to believe that Jesus is the only way to God because it seems exclusive. And it is exclusive because he's saying he's the only way. But as far as being exclusive, it's as inclusive as you could be. And I give credit to Tim Keller. <laughs> he writes about this in a lot of his books. It's, Jesus is incredibly inclusive. And what makes Jesus so special is he will take anybody. He isn't excluding. He isn't trying to keep people out. He's trying to make it as easy as possible for people to come in. Think about this. Um, you, don't, you don't have to be good to spend eternity with God. <laughs> Every other culture, every other religion, you have to be good. You have to do the right things. Jesus actually says, and the Bible says, you can't be good. We know you can't be good. That's why we sent God the Son to provide a way. So you don't have to be good. That's how inclusive Jesus is. You don't have to be good. You just have to come to him. You have to be born in the right country or the right religion. You just need to come to Jesus. Your skin color does not impact your eternity. You just need to come to Jesus. Your caste or your family does not matter. You just need to come to Jesus and he will bring you into his family. Your education does not matter. You just need to come to Jesus. There are people that can't read or write that are going to spend eternity with God, and there's people with multiple PhDs that are going to spend eternity with God. It doesn't matter. Your income you, doesn't matter. You could be rich or poor. You just still need to come to Jesus. And even, this is how inclusive Jesus is, even if you hate yourself, even if you despise yourself, he loves you, and he will invite you into his family if you just come to him. That's how inclusive Jesus says. So Jesus opened the door for anyone to come in to him, and he will welcome anyone into his family who recognizes they need a Savior. That's all it takes. I need a Savior. Jesus will be that Savior. So I think we should not just accept that Jesus is the only way. I think we should embrace that Jesus is the only way to God because he is so inclusive and loving to those outside the family. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. So my question, before I give us a challenge, is have you come to Jesus yourself? Have you come to Jesus yourself? And so I just want to give you a, a moment to pause. I think this time of season is a great time to pause and to think about that. And so if you have not trusted Jesus yourself as a Savior, this is a time that you could just say, Jesus, I want you. I want to be in your family. And if you have, just take these 20 seconds and thank him. Thank him for coming 
and making a way. So I'm just going to give us 20 seconds, and then I'm going to move to our, our closing. All right, so I'm gonna, I always like to give a challenge, uh, and I th this is what I've been thinking about with this message, is trying to think, uh, how do I challenge a, a group? I don't even know where all of you believe, I don't know where you stand, so I have two challenges uh, today, and um, yeah, so the first challenge are those of us in the room, and I'm one of them, who feel very strongly that Jesus is the only way to God, and uh and for us, this challenge is going to be a little harder than the other group. But Margie, Margie always says it's okay for me to challenge as hard as I want. So if you get mad at me, you got to get mad at Margie, and you don't want to do that. <laughs> so, so the challenge for us, you believe the right thing. You have the right belief. We have to live it. We have to live like Jesus is the only way to God. I think it's one of the reasons, and this is just my opinion, one of the reasons we're seeing a lot of people in churches say there's not, the, he's not the only way, is they look around the church and they see people living as if other things are ways to God. The challenge for us, and especially if you care for the younger generation, live as if Jesus is the only way to God. We share the planet with 8 billion people. We just hit 8 billion. 8 billion people. And Jesus is the only way for each of those 8 billion people. So we believe that Jesus is the only way. We see the reality of our world. We need to live as if Jesus is the only way. So the question, the always probing question is, if an outsider looked at your life, and just looked at how you live your life, what you pray about, how you spend your time and money, would they say you believe Jesus is the only way? Or might they think there's some other way that you're trusting in? In a, in a world where the, this belief is going to be more and more marginalized, I think we need to take serious living out this doctrine and not just proclaiming the doctrine. Does that make sense? The challenge is on us to live in such a way. So ask yourself, um, does this belief impact your prayer life? Is it a part of your schedule? Does, is your, the way you spend your time impacted by this belief? Are your finances impacted? I feel like those are three ways to tell what people care about is how they spend their time, how they spend their money, how they, what they pray about. Like, those are things we tend to care a lot about. Does this make it in there at all? If we have been blessed to know that Jesus is the only way, if we have this insider information, if we have this good news, what do we do with it? We can't just say, sweet, I'm on the right team. We can't just say indifferently, like, oh, yep, that's another doctrine. It needs to impact our life. 
So I have three things that are practical for us at Red Cedar. Um, one, Red Cedar has a missionary family in an unreached people group, the Bells. Like their email, I looked on the picture back there, their emails are on there. I think if you want to care and live out this doctrine, email the Bells and say, what, who can I be praying for? What is the next step as you're reaching into an unreached people? What can I do? Is there, a, is there a need that I could help meet? Is there a prayer I could pray for? But that's like an easy one for us. They're already supported by Red Cedar. We're already a part of this group. Reach out to them. Second thing, uh, Mike talked about it today. I didn't know we'd still be talking about the PTP, the Pastors Training Program. Think about that. Uh, $300 could provide training for a pastor in Sierra Leone for a year, a year's worth of training. If you have $300 and you knew that I could invest that in a person who's going to be better able to reach his own people, don't you think that'd be a good way <laughs> to apply this message is to say, get me on that three, like, please let me be a part of that. That should be exciting for us. It's like, I could actually be a part of people in Sierra Leone hearing the gospel, all I have to do is send a $300 check. I mean, that just seems like the easiest application that I could give you. Uh, third one I could give. So I, I mentioned the missionary family, the Bells. I mentioned the PTP. This is more down home. Bring a list of your friends and family, colleagues, who don't follow Jesus to your small group and say, can we pray for these people? I'm not in your small groups, maybe you already do this. But if we believe, as Red Cedar, if we believe Jesus is the only way, don't you think it should be a part of our small groups where we're praying for people that don't know the Lord? So bring that list. And if you don't have a list, I'm sure there's people out there that could give you a list. (laughs) There's people that could help you and say, oh, I got some people for you. Come talk to us. We got some people we'll have you pray for. But whatever we do, my challenge for those of us to believe this is I, I just don't think we could live indifferently. I think this needs to impact our life. So that's the first group. The second group, for those of you who either don't believe Jesus is the only way, or to be honest, I think there's probably many that just haven't thought about it. They really haven't put much energy into thinking about it. Uh, my challenge to you is actually easier. Uh, It's just really to get to know Jesus. Read the Gospels. Whenever we start to look at a doctrine that is more controversial or more disliked in our culture, I think it's dangerous if we just try to get into the arguments. So we live in a culture where people like to put us on the spot and say, do you believe Jesus is the only Okay, then you must be... And then they go down this road, and then we try to argue. We just need to avoid that and get to know Jesus. If you know Jesus, it's different. So if you're not sure, that would be my challenge for you. Or if you think, oh, I'm convinced there's other ways uh, to God, get to know Jesus. And I especially want to emphasize this for our high school and middle school students. Yeah, Keaton, Luke, notice. (laughs) Everett, Nick, Michael, they disappeared. 
Jalen's hiding in the back. <laughs> the middle schoolers all slunk down really fast <laughs> before I could say their name. No, but seriously, I, I was talking with uh, Keaton and Notice before, and they, <laughs> they, they were joking, thinking I was going to bring them up here, but I won't. Um, <laughs> but, for, for, but for real, I feel like for you guys, the rest of your life, this is not going to be a popular thing to believe. And, uh, and that's, that's a heavy thing. And I know where you've been raised. I know your parents are doing the best they can to point you to Jesus. I know the church is. But I would say you need to get to know Jesus yourself. Amen. You need to really know him. Because a lot of what we embrace from the Bible isn't going to be popular. But if you know Jesus, you'll be able to navigate that better. Um, let me give you one example. And I think it's, no, I'm telling myself to click. There we go. <laughs> this, is, this is like, he says this like 10 minutes later. Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. I think in, the, in this, this doctrine of Jesus being the only way to God, it really does rub people the wrong way. And it's very quickly, I've been in these conversations where I'm quickly labeled as, as a hate-filled person because I think there's a way to God. But if you know Jesus, I could stand there and say, you got it wrong because love was his motivation for this. He's not saying I'm right and you're wrong. He's not saying it's my way. He's saying this is the greatest act of love is me laying down my life for my friends. So I think of you guys, and I think um, don't just try to understand this point. Understand Jesus and cling to Jesus. And that's for all of us. But Jesus isn't trying to exclude or hate, or be a bigot, as many would want us to believe. Jesus is saying, do you want to know love? This is what love is. Someone lay down their life, and that's what he did. So we're going to have a time of communion. And, uh, and so if you're on the music team or serving, uh, you could come up. But I was thinking about this. We've been doing communion every week for a while now, and uh, which I enjoy. I think it's really good. But I think every time we do communion, it's an admission that Jesus is the only way to God. Because every time we do communion, we're proclaiming that Jesus had to shed his blood and break his body for us to commune with God. That's what we're doing. We're, we're communing with God and we're saying the only way we could do that is through these elements of his broken body and his blood. And so each time we come forward, we're confessing with our actions that Jesus is it. He's the only way that we could commune with God. So if you have trusted in Jesus for your salvation, you could come forward and take of that body that was broken for you, that was laid down for you 
And you could take of that blood that washes away our sins, which enable us to be in the presence of God. So what we're going to do is I'm going to pause and just give you a moment to reflect on this idea that Jesus' broken body